I'm Julie Potowitz, CEO and founder of Grow Your Occupancy. Our passion is helping senior living providers maximize sales efforts and increase revenue. Join me as I chat with industry leaders who share their tips and strategies, and we'll have some fun along the way. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Grow Your Occupancy podcast. I'm Julie Potowitz, CEO and founder, and today I'm welcoming back by popular demand, Rick Schamberg. Welcome, Rick. Hi, Julie. Great to see you again. I, I sort of push back on the popular demand thing. I think that you're you're just going to go to heaven for your kindness. Uh, it, if you haven't watched part one or listened to it, please do. Uh, Rick is the managing director of New York-based Stark Ridge Capital Partners. And Rick, you've been in senior living for 20 years. 20 years. now, right? 20 and years you- this summer. Unbelievable. And you started off, you're an investor now. You've been it really worked in every capacity almost probably in senior living. And I love, love, love that you started as a sales counselor at the community level. I started as a sales counselor at the community level, but I really started by living in David Smith's parents' apartment at the Gatesworth in St. Louis. <laughs> I so I, I was I, I I did the immersive uh yes. senior living MBA. Uh, 202, where um, I worked at a community and lived at a community simultaneously. Well, the community you I lived in, I think, you know, the Gatesworth to this day is one of the one of the nicest, finest uh, 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 communities in the country, you know, both from I, a physical plant standpoint and a customer experience standpoint. Uh, well, you 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 started you started at the top, right? And and learned from the master, David Smith. And uh, the Gatesworth, I've been to that community as well as I have attended one of uh, David's and, and uh, Alex's fantastic trainings. So yeah, yeah gosh, uh, having a mentor. Yeah, and, and, and I think, you know, David told me when I, when I first met with him, when he first convinced me to come to St. Louis, he said, if you want to be successful in this business, you need to learn how to move families into senior living. And candidly, you know, look, I had an MBA and I had, you know, worked in tech and I had deal experience at that point. I was, you know, a young guy, but um, to this day, that has, that statement has, has, has rang and proven true more than anything else I've heard in the space. Um, We have to understand um, the sort of bridge that families have to cross um, in order to go from circumstances that aren't working, you know, triggers that occur, episodes that occur that have made their circumstances either as adult children or as the residents themselves, or the, you know, the seniors themselves sort of untenable, that a change has to happen. One that is incredibly uh, challenging, that creates a tremendous amount of fear how do we how do we sort of reduce that fear and get these families to higher ground? Understanding that cycle um, has been, I think, the most important you know lesson uh, has created the greatest greatest value for me as you know an operator, as an owner, as an investor in the space. And uh, 
I really think everything starts from, you know, look, you know, you can only get people to move into your community if your programming is right, if your food is right, if your care is right, if your people are right. You know, I always say the, the, the operations of a community have to support the sales effort, you know, and if they don't, you're not going to be able to move people in. So they, they challenge each other. Um, and we all, you know, sales makes operations better and operations enable sales to be more effective. Um, you know, the, brochure, 20- the brochure has to match the reality. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the, in these 20 years that you've been in this business, I'm going to venture to say that that, what you're just talking about hasn't changed. You know, the difficulty, the emotional difficulty of this decision, certainly people coming to us with the need, right? They're coming to us with the problems, with the concerns, with the challenges, which on the face of it, on the surface, it it makes great sense, right? Well, gee, you know, you have this problem, we have this solution, boom, we're good to go. And unless you've sat in that seat and you've talked to families and really understand the emotional difficulty, it's just hard to wrap your your head around. Um, That hasn't changed, but Rick, what would you say, and this is kind of a big question because 20 years is a long time, but maybe just the last handful of years, what have you seen change most or kind of what trends are you seeing in in the business now? Yeah, I'm going to answer before I want to answer that. I'm going to, I'm going to give you, I mean, literally an hour ago, I got a call from one of my best friends from growing up uh, saying, you know, we need to help my mom. You know, you'd given me a recommendation on a community six months ago that, you know, we've got to do something, you know, he and his family, they have no idea how to traverse this. Right. And so he calls me and I happen to know Venice, Florida, and I can make a good recommendation to a community in Venice. Um, You know, I encourage him to not take no from, for an answer from his mom. In other words, she's now sort of the fears creeping in and she's, she's having a change of thought. But I said to him, I said, look, you could say, no, you could bandaid the situation. Now you can make the decision not to make the move, but, but, Today is when she has options. She gets to make the choice on where to live and on what conditions, you know, um, you know, she's willing to sort of, um, you know, uh, adhere to. And um, if you if you punt on this decision, and you kick the can down the road, you literally will be in a much worse situation six months from now or a year from now. So. You know, you've got to you got to sort of you know not take no you know for an answer. And um, every single one of us, you know, has to navigate this terrain at some point. All of our loved ones, uh, each of us, will get to a point where we have to make decisions that are very difficult to make. And there's always going to be a lot of fear. And so understanding the psychology of that, you know, as professionals in the space, whether we're the operator, whether we're the sales counselor, whether we're the investor, whether we're the lender is very important. As an investor, I don't nag. I don't, uh, you know, I'm not asking questions of our operating partners, of our executive directors, of our sales professionals. Um, you know, why isn't occupancy up? I know how hard it is to get someone to move to a community 
um, as nice as it is, um, as nice as the furnishings are, as good as the food is, as attractive as the sense of arrival may be, um, we're building something that um, people absolutely don't want. Um, it's the only real estate asset class that's like that. Apartments, office, retail, you know, you're building something that, you know, a business is excited to move into, you know, um, a generation Z is excited to get their first apartment, you know, and I, you know, I always tell people who are interested in being in the space, you know, you're, you're building or you're buying something that people absolutely don't want. And so having that, that understanding as an investor and as, as an owner is so critical. Now it can be overcome, but it has to be overcome with a great strategy with the right people, um, with the right, you know, TLC, um, and as I like to say, all the wheels of the wagon have to be moving in the right direction. Mm. You know, when you talk about troubled properties, which which there are a lot of today, there's a lot of distress. You know, our natural tendency as an owner is to make cuts. You know, our occupancy is low, our debt service is high. You know, we're, we're, we're making less money or we're losing money. So, you know, where can we sort of make cuts? But we have to invest in the loss. We have to you know, um, figure out what changes need to be made from a personnel standpoint, from, you know, where we have to invest in the physical plant. Do we have to rebrand, reposition? Do we have to, you know, tell a new story, you know, to our consumers, to our referral sources, to our influencers, um, to our residents and their, their loved ones. Um, and if all the wheels are not moving in the same direction, um, Chances are a community uh, is not going to be, certainly is not going to be as successful as it's capable of. And one of the things, you know, that I'm really seeing that's different today is um, A, seniors' expectations and loved ones' expectations are higher. You know, moving into a community that offers bingo and a piano player on Friday, you know, uh, with a couple of choices uh, for dinner and you know, sort of a bologna sam salami sandwich for lunch. It's not okay. It's not acceptable. Um, so expectations have increased, and that means we have to elevate our game from a programming standpoint, from a value proposition. Here's what you get for the price that you're paying. And it has to, you know, in my opinion, sort of exceed expectations. Number two, there's a lot of new supply. Uh, even though we've seen a slowdown in new supply because of the pandemic, because of the lack of financing available, we've seen less uh, starts and less deliveries of new communities. Um, there's still a lot of options. Occupancies nationally are around 80%. So there's a lot of vacant units. So a family has choices and there's a lot of concessions being offered. Um, you know, we were evaluating a, um, a portfolio where not only um, is there a month free being offered, as well as uh, waiving a move-in fee, um, but at one of the three communities, 63% of those referrals or those move-ins were from a professional referral source. The owner basically is giving two months plus a move-in fee away, right? Um, so how do we compete with that? 
So when you say professional source, you mean like a paid aggregator where you paid pay search. a fee. Paid, yeah, paid, so that, paid referral source. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm not opining on whether that's good or bad. That's not, this isn't the venue to do that. But, um, you know, I have my opinions. Um, I think a really great sales team with a really great marketing team ought to be able to create organic leads through technology, through outreach, through word of mouth, through th through some strategic advertising as we kind of create the place to be, you know? Um, and so new supply, um, um, higher expectations. Yeah. We just have to be way better at what we're doing. And by the way, it's just going to become more competitive. Right. As more money comes into the space uh, from the capital markets, as the senior living business grows and people start to realize what are, you know, A, it's a really big business and it's a great business. Um, and the demographics are, you know, what I said about the other asset classes in real estate, there's no more compelling uh, asset class than senior housing in terms of the demographics and the demand. Right. I think on our last podcast, I talked about we have to figure out how we're going to be able to, as a society, house and care for an additional 50 million people between now and 2050. Something must be missing. Uh, we've got 80 percent occupancy across the board. And so a lot of vacant units. Right. And uh, the demand increasing. You and I have been doing uh, not exactly the same path, but we've both been in the business for almost the same amount of time. And I, I would agree with you uh, that expectations are higher than ever. It's not to say we didn't work hard 20 years ago, but you know, expectations are higher. Uh, the supply, um, certainly we'll talk a little bit about staffing being, you know, because of course COVID came in and, and even elevated every challenge to a to a degree none of us couldn't even measure yet. Um, but what there, there's, it, it's not to beat up on, on those that are working really hard and they're in the whirlwind, but there's such a gap, right? Between the expectations being high and providing what people expect and the demand. Because statistically we open up that funnel, even just five basis points from lead to move in. We don't have enough units, but then we also have to service and, and meet those expectations, which is uh, challenging in a perfect situation. It's really challenging when you have staffing, you know, the turnover, people no show, no call, no show, you know, the agency, people walking off the job. I, I've never in my career have ever seen like walk off the job to the degree that, you know, it's happening now. Um, so that would be uh, something that I definitely see change is, is that staffing. So in, in, I know there's no magic wand, Rick, but what, if you could give advice, if you give advice, because you've been in the seat, you've been in the operator seat, uh, maybe not during COVID, but what, what would you, what advice? Yeah, I, I think, you know, before, before we talk about that stuff, I wanted to make with staffing, which is, which is huge because, you know, the experience that we're trying to create for residents and their families, we have to replicate and have and place just as much of a priority on the experience we're creating for 
associates. And I do have a few ideas as it relates to that. But one of the things that we need to do is remember, only 10% of agent income qualified seniors are currently living in senior housing, plus or minus. So that means 90% of the people either can't afford, don't want to, aren't ready, aren't willing to move to senior living. We, you know, the business is still super need driven. It's a ha it's sort of, a, you know, I, I'm at my like last resort for the most part. That's, you know, not true so much an active adult. It's not as true in independent living, but it doesn't have to be that way. This can be a choice. We can make this attractive enough for people to want to move. We have to do a better job of transferring the enthusiasm that we have for our communities. When we see a resident who moved in, who was super reluctant to move in, who was driven by fear, we carried across, we carried them from their home where their circumstances weren't working across that narrow bridge. We dropped them in our community. We loved them up, right? They now had, you know, they were doing things that they once enjoyed. They were, you know, socializing. They were eating with people. They, the light kind of came on, right? And then three months yeah. into living there, they say to us, I wish I would have done this sooner. We can do a better job of making this a choice of transferring that enthusiasm. You know, I, I you know, I talk a lot about, you know, those prospects who decide not to move, right? Our job as owners, as an operator's, sales professionals is fill heads and beds, right? If you're not willing to move to our community, if you sort of say, no, I'm not ready yet, or, you know, I've decided not to move, or, you're no longer a customer. So what are we doing to address and engage those people who make a decision not to move? You know, how do we stay engaged with them besides a phone call every three months or inviting them to an event? You know, I call it the social membership right? I think that there is a huge need to create social memberships for people who they want to be in our community. They want to be a quote unquote resident, but they want to live at home for a period of time. And I think there are a lot of ideas around how do you do that? Um, if you have the place to be, you can solve for the where issue by creating a model so that People can come to the community for dining, for programming. And by the way, in order to, to make that attractive, we have to elevate our dining and elevate our program, make our dining room a place that you'd actually want to go have lunch if you have a choice. Um, make our programming, whether it be an excursion, whether it be our book club, whether it be you know, a Pilates class, a yoga class, make it so that they want to come there rather than you know, Equinox or Lifetime Fitness or you know, uh, a personal trainer. Um, but, you know, you also expand, uh, you know, the top line potentially, if you can charge somebody, you know, 495 bucks a month for being a social member, giving them access, um, you solve for the wear issue. Um, and eventually they're going to realize that they're sort of missing out by going home every night. Right. Um, and so that, that transfer of enthusiasm has to improve. And I think we are making incremental progress. Uh, but, but uh, you know, we're going to have to continue to do that. And I think increase the pace of that progress. I still go into a lot of communities that I would describe as sort of vanilla that are still, when you look at the menu, when you look at the activities calendar, when you look at the participation and the engagement, 
um, it's still lacking. And yeah. I do think that, you know, transitioning to the sort of the staffing issue, a lot of it is because there has been a lot of turnover. Yeah. Um, there has been a lack of consistency uh, among, you know, the executive team at a property. You know, I always see the best run properties are the properties that have had a team, the executive director, the sales director, the wellness director, the move-in coordinator, you know, the director of resident services, the, the chef. They've been together for a few years. They know each other's cadence. You know, the chef can jump in on a tour, you know, the executive director, you know, and doing a tour or the sales director and doing a tour, tease up the chef when they come out to say hello and meet the family. You know, they know exactly what each other's cadence is. Um, you know, the associates, they know what they're going to get when they walk into work every day. They know that they're going to be valued. They know that they can, um, if they have to take time off, that somebody else is going to step up and that they're willing to do the same. Um, you know, I think the labor challenges go well beyond, you know, just our industry, obviously, it, it, you know, the airlines, you know, uh, restaurants, you know, other food service operations, you know, the frontline workers, um, yeah. you know, this quiet quitting, you know, I mean, uh, which you described as sort of a no call, no show. Um, it's, it's, it's uh, pervasive throughout our economy. Um, you know, I was really heartened yesterday when I read about um, uh, there were 40 companies that stepped up to fill 20,000 jobs with refugees from Afghanistan and Ukraine. And I couldn't help but thinking, you know, and these are major corporations um, that agreed to sort of do this. Um, but I couldn't help but thinking, boy, that's exactly what our industry needs, you know. Uh, communities and 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 providers stepping up to say, you know what, we'll hire Afghan Afghani and and Ukrainian refugees um, to work at our communities um, for all the reasons that people want to hire refugees because they're loyal, because they're humble, because they're grateful, because you know um, they consider that job to be an honor, right? Um, so I do think our immigration policies you know, need to change uh, in Washington, um, that would be incredibly helpful. Um, that's not something that we control. Obviously, ASHA is doing, and the team at ASHA is doing everything in their power to try and move the needle forward uh, on behalf of the industry to, um, to improve uh, those policies, to make them more friendly so that we can hire uh, the, you know, the workers that we need who want to do these jobs, because they're tough jobs, they're exhaustive, emotionally, physically. Um, and there's a lot of folks, you know, who grew up in this country who just don't want to do these jobs. Um, and so what can we do? What's in our power to, uh, to just enhance the experience for associates? You know, it's certainly things like, you know, offering, you know, more flexibility and, you know, part-time hours and, um, you know, cross-training, um, you know, the, you know, the universal worker model, which, which we really, you know, when I started, we didn't really like, we didn't want somebody, you know, uh, cleaning our apartment as a housekeeper and then serving us lunch, you know, a half hour later. Um, it wasn't sort of good form. 
but today this idea of universal worker has 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 taken on new meaning and new importance because you know we're short staffed um so we just you know I, I think it is a solution um cross training people hiring somebody as a housekeeper with a real honest commitment that you know what there's no reason why you can't you know uh in in a year be the assistant activities director or um you know be our moving coordinator or you know Right. Five years from now, be, yeah. yeah, five years yeah. from now, there's no reason why you can't be the executive director of this right. team, right? right? So truly painting a picture that's real for people, for promotion, for, for growth, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is, 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 is really, really important. Well, I mean, when, when we have uh, associates that are communities that are you know, excited to be there, or maybe they're not excited, but they're pleased to, when they feel it there, you talked about Rick, a a team of leaders that has stayed together for handfuls of years. I can't help but think that may be one of the things that's changed most, you know, from five, 10 years ago to now that that's rare, not the case. It's usually rare. So when, you know, we can, we can retain great people at every level, at every every, you know, part-time housekeeper all the way through and offer, provide an opportunity uh, that for growth, just a reason to stay, a reason to stay uh, and, 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 and really uh, fulfill, you know, fulfill on those uh, commitments. They can even short, short-term steps to fulfill on those commitments stability in the communities, why do people move, family, feel, consistency, feel the love, all of that. I know it's probably easier said than done, but we've got to do something, right? We've got to take some steps. We've got to make some type of commitment. And and to your point, uh, opportunities on on so many levels with with refugees, you know, it's, it's opportunities for you know, wins across the board, wins across the board for, uh, for the refugee, you know, for humanity, for them, for the, for our senior, for our business, for to sustain, to grow. I mean, how many, how many people is even in 10 years, we've all been, we've been talking about boomers for 20 years, 15 years. Well, it's now starting to happen. Just, just the beginning of it. 2026. We are three and a half years away from Eight. the yeah. wave of the baby boomers turning 80 and the silver tsunami yeah. uh, starting yeah. to, to occur. And how uh, fast is that going to go? I mean, just. I was sitting, <laughs> I was sitting in a doctor's office. Uh, uh, it was a gastroenterology office two weeks ago, uh, waiting for an appointment. And I looked around and I saw roughly 30 seniors in the office um, waiting for whether it was a, a, you know, a checkup or a scope or whatever they were there for. And I sort of, I was about to, you know, right after that, I went to tour uh, four communities that day with, with uh, some partners uh, in Minneapolis. And I sat there and I just sort of smiled to, to myself and it occurred to me, this is what the silver tsunami looks like. You know, I don't think even those of us who've been on the front lines in this business really understand the wave of seniors that we have to figure out how to house and care for. 
you know, in our communities or in their homes. Um, and, and it was, you know, it was really interesting, just my own sort of reaction to seeing that, like, this is what it looks like, you know, or if you go into, you know, uh, a breakfast spot or a coffee shop in a place like Fort Myers, Florida, or, you know, where you just see, you know, you know, um, you know, the aging population of our country um, and just how massive it is. We have to do way more and way better at providing the amenities, the services, and accounting for the needs of not only these individuals, but their families. Um, we're not, we're not really prepared, you know, um, you know, as an industry, um, we're getting better. There's a lot of groups out there that are doing things that are progressive, that are innovative, that are forward thinking, but there's still a lot of groups that are just trying, are struggling. They're capital constrained. They've had a lot of turnover. Um, you know, they've, you know, they've had properties they were managing. The irony is, is, you know, I use third-party operators as an example versus the owner operators. All the owner operators are, 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 are um, susceptible to this too. If a third-party operator does a great job, they get fired, right? Owner sells the building, brings in somebody else often, not always, but oftentimes. If they do, uh, you know, if they do a subpar job, they get fired. Right. It's it's really so that model of, of of operating communities, you know, is ripe for some change and for some innovation. Um, I want to also point out one other thing about the labor pool. Um, uh, Tim Mullaney wrote an article 15 months ago in Senior Housing News um, where he, he talked about employee ownership structures. It was a conversation that he and I had about how do we how do we really incentivize employees to stay or employees to come you know what can be a tool for attraction and retention and actual ownership is a model that is has been used across industries uh um in the american economy over a long period of time but it's very lightly used and utilized. Very, very few companies actually are, you know, structured with some form of employee ownership program, whether it be an ESOP or other structure. And I, I have really thought about this a lot. We've talked about it at Scarp Ridge internally. Um, and I think it's a really interesting tool because now an employee has basically stock and they're not going to go down the street for another 50 cents an hour. Um, they actually have something that if they, they stay for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, they actually have something to take with them. You know, they can sell their stock. It becomes, you know, really valuable. Um, and if you have it in, you know, a competitor doesn't um, or if you have it and, you know, Target doesn't, you know, you ought to be able to attract talent and attract associates to your community or to your management company um, and have a competitive advantage over somebody else. So I think that we have to be more creative about our yeah. tool for retention um, and attraction. It's an interesting point. You mentioned 
of Southwest Florida a couple times in the conversation, Venice, Florida, my second home, home uh, state there. Um, Publix, Publix supermarket, right? I don't know the exact structure, but they uh, offer that those that employee ownership, right? And you I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not familiar with, you know, oh, I know yeah, Publix, and I they, don't know what the longevity and, uh, they, and certainly you want to talk about customer service, you pay more you know, to, to shop there, uh, than, than you do maybe other places, but, uh, the service and, uh, and it's a grocery store and, you know, there's other examples of course of that, but that's an interesting, a really interesting idea. And I think just Rick, just being open to, uh, thinking, uh, forward thinking of, okay, what might we need, you know, we've got to do something and what, there's, there's a lot of challenges, what challenge you want to solve first or address first. And it is challenging because, you know, the first thing is today, today, we have to have staffing to serve the residents we have today. You know, we've got to get, you know, earlier in the conversation, we talked, we've got to get sales. I think anyone listening to this from a sales side or anyone that's been on owner reporting calls would love to have you on the other line because, you know, the owner, and I understand the owner and the investor is like, where are the move-ins? Where, you know, how come occupancy? You know, you've got X number of leads. What's happening? What's what? How many hots do you have? <laughs> you know, how many leads? And we need them now. Totally get that. Um, it is, so with that, that's like, what's, it's the urgent and important. But what are we, how much time and energy are, are we really focusing on the important that's going to sustain business and, and help us, you know, grow into the business might not be urgent this minute, but it's going to be urgent in very soon, tomorrow, three and a half years from now, which goes by like that. Yeah. The owners, so, yeah. the owners who might listen to this will not love what I have to say, but look, operators, they do not want to be nagged by their owners. Our, our attitude is, is if we can't be part of the solution, um, if we can't roll up our sleeves and whether it's just through brainstorming or our own ideas, um, you know, we, or we haven't done it ourselves, right. Then we shouldn't be asking. I mean, we have to, um, we have to ask tough questions of our operators, but we have to be prepared with, with either resources, additional resources or solutions or both. Um, and I think operators generally like they, they value and they want their partners to have a seat at the table, but not looking over their shoulder, second guessing, questioning, nagging, you know, why isn't this, why isn't that? Um, they're, you know, they're, they're busy. There's so much to do um, that for them to spend time, um, you know, preparing additional reports or doing analysis. I think it's really right. valuable. It has to be collaborative. Um, yeah. And having sat in that seat, we really understand, you know, um, you know, you know, why, you know, why we need a marketing report, you know, why, why we can't just make one up as we go along um, a quarterly and an annual marketing report. It has to be done. We have to write it down so that we can measure our progress, see what we've accomplished, see what we have still yet to accomplish, you know. Uh, the importance of an executive summary every month from an ED who's met with their department heads, 
whose department heads have sat down and written a paragraph or two about what they accomplished that month in outreach, in sales, in dining, in programming, how many, you know, prospects, how many guests, how many, you know, you know, you know, where did we go to talk about what we're doing? Thinking about that for a half hour or 40 minutes once a month as a department head, and then sitting down with an executive director and having that ED compile that, those reports and, you know, write their own editorial, write their own commentary and, and sort of pull it all together enables the leadership team of a community to, again, see, what did we do this month, you know, and where did we fall short? You know, it's a very, very simple management tool, but I'd be maybe not surprised with how many communities across the country aren't doing that. Um, really little simple things. And that's where sort of owners and operators can team up, you know, um, you know, looking at metrics um, um, and conversion ratios, um, things like tours and home visits, et cetera. But I'd be amazed at how many people aren't doing home visits, really not doing them um, and how impactful they are um, to the move-in process. Um, seeing somebody in their own environment. Um, I love the example, you know, on Tuesday, an 87-year-old woman and her adult daughter show up at your community for a tour and for lunch. And that morning she woke up, the 87, we'll call her Mrs. Johnson, woke up and she put on her best dress, her finest costume jewelry. She took a shower. She was excited and nervous and fearful about her daughter picking her up to go to lunch and a tour at this community. And she's lovely and she's personable and she's warm. And at the very end of the tour, two and a half hours, three, three hours later, when you're walking her to her car, um, giving her a hug, thanking her for spending the time. And she says, wow, this was amazing. This was incredible. You have such a beautiful community. I can't wait to tell my neighbor she really needs to move. Um, you show up at that same Mrs. Johnson's house the next day with an apple pie or sticky buns from your chef unannounced at one o'clock in the afternoon and you knock on the door, ring the doorbell and she answers the door in her robe. And she says, Oh, I'm busy. You know, it's not a great time. But you say, well, Mrs. Johnson, we just had such a lovely experience with you yesterday. We just wanted to drop off this pie or these balloons or this thank you card as an appreciation for you coming to see us, you know, could we just come in for a second? And she says, okay. And she, she lets you in. And then she offers you a seat in her living room and you start talking and you look around and you see her in her environment and there's unopened mail on the table and the place hasn't been probably clean for a few weeks or more. Um, and you ask her the question, you know, you have such a beautiful home. Why would you possibly want to move? And then she tells you all the reasons why her circumstances aren't working. And you realize this woman's neighbor doesn't move, need to move. She needs to move, right? She's sort of dying a slow death in her own living room. Without the community, without the connection, without the relationships, without the engagement that we all need, you know, to um to thrive um we're missing an opportunity you know as salespeople if we're not doing that and it's, i realize i was once a, a new sales guy 
Stephanie Harris took me on my very, very first home visit. And I'm like, wait a minute, we, we don't have an appointment. You know, we just have to knock on the door. It's pretty scary, even if you're kind of an extrovert. But once you do it, you realize you're saving people, right? You're rescuing people from their own circumstances that they don't even realize, you know, that they're sort of drowning. It's that level of sort of granularity and attention to detail. And um, when you're replacing food servers and line staff and executive directors and having to, and your short staff and having to call in agency labor and, you know, the owner hasn't really invested in new furniture. Um, so you got some CapEx issues and your maintenance guy's out, you know, you're playing defense. And that's what we've spent all this, you know, in COVID we had to do that. Um, but we're, we're playing so much defense that we're not playing offense. We're not thinking about our activities calendar and thinking about our menu and, and thinking about how we improve our closing ratios. Um, you know, David always likes to talk about working, going way deeper on less leads. Um, there, there's, there's a hundred different things that you, you know, that we all need to be thinking about to make a community successful. And we sort of have time for, you know, <laughs> like 10 or 15 or 20 of them. So. Right. Well, like you said, um, what there are, what, 10% or so, depending on the stat you look at, of those aging income qualified, who would even consider moving? And we only, statistically speaking, move 10 to 15% of those individuals. We're all so, fighting over the 10%, Julie. The 10 of the 10, right? So uh, the, um, I you know, given your vast experience and and that your involvement in, in almost every aspect of senior living and now as, as an investor, you know, you're what always stands out to me, Rick, when every time we talk is your how empathetic you are. Um, you're you're a great connector, uh, and and you are a connector of people, and and I can't help but think that that's your you know, being taught by the master of empathy and connection uh, had to have some some part to to do with that, and and I'm sure that's your natural your nature too, um, and it, and it it just drives home that um, while we do need to continue to think how 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 do we address the silver tsunami, how are we going to uh, meet those higher expectations of our customers, how are we going to you know meet. Uh, the demand for the the supply and 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 looking at um, growing this occupancy from eighty uh, percent and getting rate and getting actual rate and stopping stopping the deals um, that it really can boil down many many times to bringing the pie, you know, to your prospect or bending over to pick up the you know the the little piece of trash uh, you know outside the front saying thank you to an associate, um, taking a minute to listen, um, sitting down with a resident, you know, it's, it, um, it, it, it's, it's like the, the, um, solving the occupancy puzzle, which is such a huge passion of mine that no, there's no one thing, just do this one thing and you're going to have success across the board, but it's that consistency of, of attention to detail and making sure that 
we don't forget that we don't forget what really works and that we don't forget that um, leaning in with empathy and understanding um, in everything that we do and no matter what your position is in senior living and out is is really what is um, uh, what matters most really what yeah, matters it's, most. what you're talking about is culture and we all talk about culture um, I, I you know and I think we 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 have to continue to talk about culture and create environments that are safe that are empowering um, where we are truly training people, people want to be trained, you know, we're not doing them service by training them for a day or two. I mean, a lot of this stuff, this be these behaviors, they need to be modeled in order for it to become sort of conditioning and programming. You know, I can't do it once or twice. I mean, the reason I think that, that, you know, this stuff was modeled for me by the people who came before me, um, for months and months and months. And that's why it became part of my DNA. Um, but, um, you know, we're not doing a good enough job as it relates to culture. We're not listening enough. You know, we're talking with an ownership group about, you know, some of their distressed properties and sort of asked them, you know, when was the last time you went down to the community? You know, they're, you know, they use an asset manager that's sort of a layer in between and, so, you know, we, we tend to tend to go once a year, you know, and and, and, and my reaction to that was you've, you've got problem properties as the owner, you better be there and you better be asking the question of not just your executive director and their team, but like line staff interviewing them all. What's wrong here? What can we do to fix this? Right. How do we improve what we're doing? And listen, that's servant leadership, that's humility, that's the values that we want to espouse, right? Um, the one thing I know, I do not have, we do not have all the answers. Um, you know, as, you know, Scarp Ridge is a year old. I mean, we've got a blank canvas. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of contemplating, you know, as we go all in, in the senior housing space, senior living space, you know, what do we want to be as a company? You know, um, is it capital? Is it operations? Is it development? Is it, you know, is it uh, asset management? Is it all the above? Right. Um, but the only way you kind of come to the conclusion is by, by listening, you know, by, by learning, by observing, by being a student of the business None of us know where the puck is going to go. You know, I promised you I would not use a sports analogy, but I just can't help myself. Right? Oh my gosh. We Rick. had a good, we had one offline before, that, before yes, the recording started, yes. which I thought was pretty good. You know, even yeah, the best tennis players, even the best tennis players have a coach, right? Even Rafa and Roger and Carlos now. And Serena, and Serena, yes, yes. Um, has well, a Rick, we have, we have run out of time. I'm going to you. You need to have your own show. That is what you need because we. Oh, it's not you need. We need it. We I need got it. the looks for radio, Julie. <laughs> radio. <laughs> I asked some people at the Nick conference, some some young guys. I said, you know, do you guys know what AM radio is? <laughs> They're like, what? <laughs> right oh my gosh that's no. a that's another discussion another another podcast discussion i love it i love it 
I remember what AM, I remember my uh, very first car used Pontiac T1000. Pontiac's answer to the Chevy Chevette about four speed, no power steering, no power brakes. And my brother bought me an FM because it was, you know, had an oh, AM yeah, radio. You put the radio in, right? Oh, that was, that was it. That was it. So for those of you that don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> I remember my first 77 old Cutlass Supreme oh. uh, that we put a truck horn on. And I remember taking it to you know, where I grew up in Northbrook, Illinois, to the radio shop. I forget what it was called. And and getting that, you know, high fidelity stereo oh. system put in that car. The circa the back, the big, yeah. Circa like 1987, you know, it's 1986, 87. I'm aging myself a little bit. Oh, great stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, thank you so much again. I could talk to you all day long. Yeah, we could do it again. Yeah, I, you know what? How about, how about next time you have me on, I'll interview you. <laughs> I'm actually much better at doing the interviewing than being the interviewee. Oh, so. you're, I did listen to you uh, all day. But Rick Schamberg, Scarp Capital Partners. Scarp Ridge, yeah, Scarp Ridge. Scarp Ridge. Ridge. Scarp Ridge is a ridge in... Crested Butte. Scarp uh, Ridge. Scarp Ridge. I'm so sorry. Scarp Ridge Capital <laughs> Partners. Uh, thank you again very, very much. Thank you all for listening and joining us again for another episode of the Grow Your Occupancy podcast. Thank you so much and have a great day. Rick, once again, thanks for sharing all of your knowledge. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you, Julie. It's always a pleasure.